Galatians chapter 5, verses 25, through to chapter 6, verse 5. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. For each will have to bear his own load. Good morning, everyone. How are those little heaters going? Is it all right? If you're too cold, just move further forward. I, I, you might realise I put them up the front for a reason. Yes. So today we're going to be talking about the one another aspect of being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, something really wonderful about becoming a Christian is the way we gain a whole new family. Uh, Jesus didn't save us so that we can then try and live this Christian life all on our own. We're not meant to. Uh, it's about being joined together in God's family. And if we truly love Jesus, we can't help but love his family. And something I've really noticed, like I, I grew up in the one spot for a long time, um, and you don't appreciate it so much, but then I've moved a couple of times since then, a few times. And when I've moved from one town to another, I've just discovered that, that I have a whole family right where I've moved to because I just get in with the Church of, Church of Christ and, and, and here's Christians and we're just like family. And it's, I've found myself wondering at times when you move to another town, how, how do you do it and how do you fit in when, you, when you're not a Christian? Like, where's the support for you? Because I know that people, you know, as soon as we land in a town, people invite us over and, and basically bring us into their families. And, yeah, so I guess that's my experience. But, yes, being a family means that sometimes some of the family members are going to rub us the wrong way. And sometimes our love for Jesus and our love for our Christian family means that we have to extend a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of forgiveness. Uh, but that's all part of living as a family. And it's all part of living by the Spirit. In Paul's letter to the Galatians over the last two weeks, we've been seeing the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the works of the flesh are that fleshly part of us that, that's rebellious against God, um, that part of us that wants to put ourselves first and everybody else second, third, fourth and one hundredth. Whereas the fruit of the Spirit I think the easiest way to describe it is it's the very character of Jesus himself growing and developing in our lives as we walk with him. And the fruit of the Spirit, for, for that to become the dominant feature of our lives, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, today we're discovering a very practical expression of being spiritual. Uh, a spiritual person is someone who keeps in step with the Spirit. Yes? Yes. Good, good. 
Uh, thus, a spiritual person will be someone who truly loves the family of God. Uh, if I don't love the family of God, that is a sure sign that I'm not a spiritual person. All right, so Paul here, he's talking to a church. He's talking to Christians and he says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, those things are works of the flesh. Um, to become conceited, to be provoking one another, to be envying one another, they're things of the flesh. Uh, by the way, conceited, we don't, we don't use that word a whole lot. Um, it means to be proud of something that, where there's really nothing to be proud of. Uh, pre it's pretentiousness. It's to pretend to be all important when I'm actually not important at all. Now, if we're living by the Spirit, we're going to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't we? Because think of the fruit of the Spirit. We, we talked about that a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, the very first cab off the ranks, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, who, who would enjoy being a part of a family who are just like that? To have a family who have the very flavour of Christ about them. That'd be pretty good all right, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, good, good. The, the heads aren't frozen in place. <laughs> but something we're going to discover today is this loving family of God well, at times, it has to tackle some very difficult issues. And sometimes we have to share some hard truths with one another. He says in, in chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, oh, what, what would we do? Do we turn a blind eye? Do we say nothing? Do we pretend that it didn't really happen? Do we assume that, well... It did happen, but they've probably got it all sorted with God now and it won't happen again. And so do we just let sleeping dogs lie? Well, let's clarify what we're talking about here. To be caught in any transgression, that, that means a person within the church has been caught out, right? It's been discovered about this person. It's probably surprised you to, to discover this about this person. It's probably something that shocked you. And the concept of it being a transgression is it is a misstep, right? They've misstepped, they've, they've tripped, they've stumbled spiritually and they've sinned. It, it's not a chosen and settled course of action that they've decided for themselves. Do you understand the difference? Let, let me give you an example. If, if a young man and a young woman are dating and they find themselves alone late at night one evening and they go a bit too far, and then they feel guilty about it and, and ask God for forgiveness and try not to do it again, you would class that as a transgression. Uh, but if they were to decide, we're going to move in together and we're going to live together, or if they regularly set up opportunities for themselves to go too far, so they plan, we're going to be alone really late this night with nobody else around, that, that's sort of setting up a pattern um, it becomes a settled course of action, right? You see the difference? Sometimes we stumble, and we all stumble, don't we? And what happens when we stumble? We ask for forgiveness. Um, so that's what a transgression is. 
by the way, I, I know about myself, a lot of times when I'm confessing my own sins, I can be a little bit inclined to say, God, I've tripped up here. God, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake. Um, and I might talk about my failings and my shortcomings. Well, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of the time I've actually deliberately sinned against God. I, to my shame, I, I've known that something was wrong and I shouldn't do it, but, I, but I've just made the conscious decision I'm going to do it anyway. And even in those times, God will forgive us, but, but I wouldn't count that as a transgression. That's not a stumbling. That's even worse than that. Right. so what do we do when someone in the church stumbles, when they're caught in a transgression? Well, I'll give you two common responses that happen. Firstly, there are those who are very quick to condemn. And if you've been in the church for a few years, um, then you might immediately be able to picture somebody who, from your experience, you know that they're just really quick to condemn and they've pulled people down for very little. Now, a, probably a good example of this in the Bible is the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to pray. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. There were two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me as sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? So some are very quick to condemn. I heard somebody say once, the Christian church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Um, do you understand what that person was trying to, to get across? When a person is caught in a sin that isn't a settled and chosen way of life, they're, they're a wounded person. And we've all been that person, haven't we? They've tripped up, they've stumbled. And in such times, it is not our role to condemn. It is not our role to reject them. Oh yes, there are times for that. And there's times when Paul himself has said in his letters, don't even eat with a person like this, or don't even, even let a person like this be in the church, kick him out of the church. But in those cases, he's talking about unrepentant, ongoing, vile sin that, that they've got no interest in repenting of, where they've embraced this sin and affirmed, this is who I am. But in cases of stumbling, in cases of tripping up, the way forward is restoration. But the second, and by far the most common response to when somebody is caught in a transgression, is to do nothing or to say nothing. Let sleeping dogs lie, and we pretend maybe that we didn't even notice. Or more commonly, we tend to remember the words of Jesus because we've had them drummed into us 
judge not lest you also be judged. Right now, I reckon if I was to talk to most people in the church about, you know, what approach do we have to somebody um, who's transgressed in the church? I think just about all of us would lead with saying, well, judge not lest, lest you also be judged. But you know what? That's actually, that's less than half of what Jesus said. And what Paul is teaching us today is entirely consistent with all of what Jesus said. So let's, let's look at what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Oh, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a great big log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I'm glad Jesus taught us this because as we said before, there are some of us who are quite inclined to judge. But Jesus says, don't judge. But then he teaches us something else. He, two things extra, actually. He teaches us about our own personal holiness and he then teaches us about the restoration of the transgressor. Now, when we read this, most people get the first message. I can't judge anyone because I've got a log in my own eye. And then they leave the log in their own eye. Can you imagine, as Jesus is telling this story, people would have been having a great old chuckle. I mean, like this is a really funny thing that Jesus is saying. It's a funny image. There's this person with a dirty great big log sticking out of their own eye saying, oh, let me, let me get this speck out of your eye. And, and, and everybody listening to that, just about everyone would have gone, I know someone just like that. This person, they've got all their own faults, but they're blind to those. And they've just pick, 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 pick at everybody else. And I can just see everybody laughing at, as Jesus tells this story. I know who he's talking about. But, but just as absurd is for us to notice that we've got this log in our own eye. So we need to make some adjustments to our life and repent of sin to restore holiness, but we don't, we don't do that. And we walk away. And our attitude is, well, I obviously can't take the speck out of your eye because I've got this log of my own. And we leave the log there. It's just absurd. And so we usually get the first part of the message, don't judge, but we miss the second part and the third part. The second part is we will be judged. If we can recognise a transgression, that should be um, obvious to us that God recognises the transgressions and the sins in us. And so the message of Jesus is, get that stinking log out of your eye. So it's about repentance, forgiveness, restoration for ourselves. And then the third part of the message is work on the restoration of your brother or sister in Christ. And that's exactly what Paul's teaching us here in this section here of this letter. He's teaching us about personal holiness and our restoration of the transgressor.
He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Righto. Now, you might be thinking, well, that lets me off the hook. Who are the spiritual people in the church, by the way? Who are they? When you think about the spiritual people in the church, who are you thinking about? Is it the pastor? Is it the person who's been able to memorise the most scripture? Is it the one who has the most spiritual gifts? Is it the one who's been a Christian for the longest? Who are the spiritual people in the church? Well, we've just been told this over the last couple of weeks. We've been learning that we all should be the spiritual people in the church. Because when we're saved, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. How can we not be spiritual if the Holy Spirit is living in us? And then we talked um, about the other day, the other day we talked about uh, the works of the flesh and how to get rid of those. And then we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. The spiritual ones is us as we keep in step with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives. The very character of Jesus himself is growing and developing in our lives. We are the spiritual ones. And his little hint, he says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Guess what? That's one of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's one of the flavours of the Spirit. Along with love, patience and kindness. In other words, with the character of Christ that is growing in you and the character of Christ that is growing in me, we are to restore our brother or sister in Christ when they trip up in some sin. And hopefully... They'll do that for us as well when we trip up in sin. And we do it with a spirit of gentleness. We don't turn a blind eye and nor are we filled with a heap of condemnation. And in two ways, Paul is telling us, get the log out of your own eye first. All right, so the first way is when he says, put off the works of the flesh and keep in step with the spirit. That's what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. That's the first way. And then secondly, he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Sadly, uh, the road paved with good intentions is often strewn with the wreckage of those who have also fallen. The pastor who wants to be a tremendous support for a lady who's struggling with all sorts of issues, but then they find themselves in one another's arms. Or perhaps the recovering alcoholic who tries to save somebody else from their addictions, and so he starts going back into the pub culture and he gets caught back into it himself, and he becomes a drunk again. Or perhaps the lady who's wanting to help another lady learn how to forgive but she just enjoys hearing all of the stories of strife just a little bit too much and it's just feeding the flesh and her desire to hear the gossip. Because you know the saying, don't you, that Christians don't gossip, we just share prayer requests. 
that the spiritual person is very aware of the dangers of temptation. Keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. Um, I've purposely been very aware, um, being a pastor of a church, that the three greatest temptations that seems to see most pastors fall, not most pastors fall, but most that do fall will be for one of these three reasons. When you can sum it up as the three Gs, the gold, the girls, or the glory. Uh, For some pastors, the temptation is money. Uh, For some, it's it's, uh, sexual sin. And for others, it's pride and the quest for glory, to to be a well-known pastor, to be whatever. But of course, that's not the limit. There's all sorts of temptations that I'm subject to. There's all sorts of temptations that you're subject to. And your temptations will be different from mine and my temptations will be different from yours. But the message for all of us is keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. But in this whole section here, what he's really talking about is how we bear one another's burdens. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. I used to be an instructor at Nag College and in the section that I taught in, I was mainly teaching in the practical side of farming and So working out on the farm, doing the routine daily tasks, but I'd always have students rostered to us and and I'd be teaching them to operate machinery and do manual work and and all that sort of stuff. Now, let me tell you, some of those students were really good and others were really hard work. The fruit of the spirit was really needed and lots of patience at times. But it was really, we'd really look forward to holidays Um, because sometimes we just need to have a break from the students. Now, the problem with that is in the section that I was in, the farm section, we didn't get a break from the students uh, because each of the students would be rostered on for two weeks of holiday work because the farms didn't stop because the holidays were on, but all the classroom teachers, they'd get a bit of a break, preparation time and whatnot. But occasionally we would get a break. If there was farm work to be done between Christmas and New Year, there'd be no students then, or or over the Easter period, there'd be no students around then. And so, oh, it was glorious. You'd get out and you'd actually do some work yourself and spend some time just driving tractors or driving a header or a boom spray or something like that. And, oh, I came to the conclusion, this is the best place to work when there's no students. It's fantastic. And I I sort of, as a bit of a joke, I suppose, I I then brought the matter up with my boss. I said, you know, it's really good working here without students. And I've actually done some calculations and the college spends less money when the students aren't here. So it'd actually be more economical for the college if we ditched having students and we just just did our thing without them. Of course... That the whole purpose of the Ag College was to have students to teach. And sometimes being a Christian can be a little bit like that. Sometimes if I didn't have to deal with other Christians, oh, it'd be easier. And yeah, if you didn't have to bear the burdens of other Christians, sometimes it's just hard work. Oh, that'd be easy, wouldn't it? Oh. Yeah. 
if we didn't have to have the burden, and this is a tough one, the burden of restoring our wounded brothers and sisters in Christ, or if we didn't have to have the burden of walking with those who were in a really tough patch, oh, it'd be easier. But this is the whole purpose of the church. This is what we do. We bear one another's burdens. And so we fulfill the law of Christ. And we talked about the law of Christ a couple of weeks ago, I think. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hangs all of the law and all of the prophets. And, and we talked about how we are not enslaved to the law, but how we fulfil the law by the Holy Spirit living in us and by us keeping in step with the Spirit. And part of this is bearing one another's burdens. I don't just bear your burdens. You bear my burdens. We bear one another's burdens. And I want you to look around this room now. I seriously want you to do this. Look around. Look at all these people. You help to bear their burdens. And they help you to bear your burdens. And if you're going through something tough, I don't want... I don't ever want to have any of us going, well, I don't want anyone to know about this or I don't want to burden them. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Can we agree to do that? Can we agree that when I've got a burden, when you've got a burden, that you will share that with somebody in the church? Can we agree that? I'm getting a few nods, okay. And in return, can we agree that when another person has a burden, that we will drop everything, everything else that's important to us to help with their burden? Can we agree to do that? Yes, okay. This is how Jesus designed his church. And what Paul's doing here is he's warning us against spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is something that very quickly destroys fellowship. It's spiritual pride that makes a person believe, you know what, I don't need that church. That bunch of people, they're so needy. They're just a burden and they're holding me back. I can go on with God far better without them. But then again, it's spiritual pride that also says, that church needs me. Whereas the spiritual man understands, I need that church. These people, they carry my burdens every bit as much as I carry theirs and maybe more. Verse three, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What, what a terrible deception when a person has the attitude, oh, I don't need those people. I can be a better Christian all on my own. Instead, Paul is really saying, what you need to do is make a sober assessment of yourself. Test the waters closer to home. Don't, don't test everybody else. Test yourself first. I learned a lot of years ago, uh, when I first started visiting people, um, 
Sometimes it's really hard to get past the small talk. Have you ever noticed that? When you, you want to have a God conversation with someone and it's just really hard. You sort of start off talking about the weather and, and then you might talk about your job, their, their job, and talk about the kids and the family, hoping, hoping that at some point there's going to be a God opportunity come in here somehow, even when you're talking with a Christian, right? And this is a strange thing, but even as a pastor, this is a tough thing. And it's what makes it stranger is when I pop in to visit someone, they know why I'm there. They're here to talk to me about God. And I know why I'm there. I'm there to talk to them about God. And they're wanting me to talk about God. And I'm wanting to talk about God, but it just doesn't happen. And I learned really early on in the piece to just be really blunt. And after a couple of nice pleasantries, say, so how's your walk with God going? And just those simple words just give people permission to talk. Well, let me tell you, it's just not going so good at the moment. And they, tell, they can share your bur- their burdens with you and stuff. And, and this is an assessment that we need to make sometimes of ourselves. How's my walk with God going? Verse 4 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. Now, now, when Paul's using that word boast, they're like, usually when we hear the word boast, oh, that's a bad word. No, 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 he's not, it's not used as a bad word here, okay? Um, in this context, um, it's not the bad sort of boasting. What he's saying is make a sober assessment of yourself and don't compare yourself to others. Do, do you know what the danger is when we compare ourselves to others? Uh, some of us are like that Pharisee and the tax collector, right? The, the, the Pharisee had way too high of a view of himself. And some of us think way too much of ourselves. I met uh, somebody the other day, oh, a while back now, said, talked about somebody in town and, and he said, that man's got a real self-esteem problem. He's got way too much of it. Um, and some of us are like that. And like that Pharisee with that tax collector, he saw somebody who he thought was the scum of the earth and he goes, well, I'm pretty good all right compared to the Pharisee, compared to the tax collector over there. But then others of us are the opposite to that. Others of us have a very, not only a very dim view of ourselves, but a very dim view of what part God has to play in our lives. And then we compare ourselves to others who we consider to be the pinnacles of their field. Or, or we might compare ourselves to the most beautiful people in the world and go, oh, I'm really ugly. Or compare ourselves to the most athletic people in the world and go, well, I'm a slob. And we might compare ourselves to the most skillful people in the world and go, well, I'm just useless. And compare ourselves to people with certain spiritual gifts and go, well, God doesn't use me at all. I've got no gifts. And, and we just simply affirm that low opinion that we have of ourselves. But not only that, we keep affirming that the incorrect belief that, that God isn't going to use me because I'm no good. Let's not compare ourselves to other people. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't compare yourself to other people. There's no future in that. How do we make a sober assessment of ourselves? Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been learning about the difference between flesh and spirit. And this is a very practical thing. Let each of us test 
his own work. Right? He's not asking us to assess what we believe. He's talking about our conduct. He's talking about our actions. How do I behave? What, what am I like when nobody's watching? What sort of person am I when I start typing in Messenger or something? Is that still a thing, Messenger? I, I don't keep up with these things. Um, or am I the perfect family man when I'm out and about? Why are you laughing so much? <laughs> Is it still a thing? Yes. Is there something more, more the thing now? Not for Mr. Trump. <laughs> Got it. Snapchat. Is Snapchat the thing now? Am I, what am I like when I'm typing? Do I type on Snapchat or talk on Snapchat? <laughs> now everybody's really laughing. I'm pretty tech savvy. <laughs> or am I the perfect family man when I'm alone? But, you know, when I'm out and about and people think that we're perfect family, but then I'm just all self-centered and nasty when I get home. If the fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus, the question is, is that practically demonstrated in my life? And if it is, then the only thing to boast about is the good that Christ has done in me. And I believe that the sober assessment we are to make is how am I going with God? Make that about ourselves. Now, initially, that question's going to be, am I saved? And I urge you, if you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, um, to do it today. And if you're not sure whether you even are a Christian, then come and talk to me about it. This is the most important thing that I can do is talk to you about this. And even for those who are listening on the video, if you aren't sure if you're a Christian or if you haven't yet given your heart to Jesus contact me. You'll find us on www.bushdisciples.church. Find the contact details and give me a call. It'll be the most important thing I can do is talk to you about this. So initially, the question is about whether I'm saved. But then for the, us who are saved, as we walk with Christ, the question becomes, is the fruit of the Spirit, is it just a little shallow thing? Or is the fruit of the Spirit, the very character of Jesus, is that becoming the dominant feature in my life? And if it's not becoming the dominant feature in my life, then maybe some adjustments need to be made so that I can keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the church. Lord, forgive us for the times when we haven't loved our brothers and sisters as we should have. Help us to be a people who bear one another's burdens. Help me to understand that I need others and they need me. And Lord, help us to keep in step with your spirit, knowing that any good in us comes from you and seeing the fruit of the spirit grow in our lives. Help us to love one another enough to challenge one another and to, to hold one another accountable and to restore one another. And Lord, may others do this for us when we fall, that we, your church, would be a loving, forgiving, reconciling, 
and restoring community. In the name of Christ, amen.